0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Um, uh, Hi, I'm Heath from Ski Patrol. I'm I'm here to help. I just want to uh, say thank you uh, to everyone for your prayers um, for Sam and I, as we took our uh, practical exam uh, for ski patrol last weekend. Um, that was an experience um, a long, lots of stories, but um, we were successful and, uh, and m- in mostly because of your prayers. So we're very grateful. Um, and thank you for the um, the grace to skip church on a Sunday to go hang out at a ski mountain. Um, we didn't go skiing because there wasn't really any snow, believe it or not. So, um, and um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to say is um, Christmas Eve. Um, we're gonna have a service here uh, at 7 p.m. Um, So we're going to, six, it's at 6 (laughs) p.m. Praise the Lord for wives. Um, Yes, six o'clock on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll meet right here. Um, uh, A a simple but meaningful um, service. Uh, So we invite you all to come um, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, And then uh, Christmas is on a Sunday Sunday. Christmas Day is on a Sunday, so we're going to have a regular service here um, uh, that day. So nothing nothing uh, out of the ordinary there, um, other than probably showing up in Christmas pajamas. Um. Can we? Oh, we can. Uh, you can. I'm, I'm not leaving the house that way, but uh, you're welcome. Do whatever you want. <laughs> totally fine. Okay, so turn with me in your Bibles t- to, to Luke chapter 7. This morning, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 10. And that's on page... we got all kinds of lights here. So, um, so um, yeah. So, as we turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke, um, I want to keep... Uh, keep one one s- simple phrase in mind sorry I was really singing hard over here I want to keep in mind one simple phrase it's from um, from both James 4 6 and 1 Peter 5 5 and it's actually a quote from the Septuagint which is the Greek version of the Old Testament uh, and it's a Quote from Proverbs 3:34 that says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." I have to mention that comes from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament because if you look up Proverbs 3:34, it's close but doesn't say that. Uh, but the Greek version um, is what uh, both James and Peter were quoting from. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And what we're going to, uh, what we're about to examine is an actual account of this principle at work in the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. Uh, And that's Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let's read that together. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to gather together as a family in your presence this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we've been granted to do so. We're thankful for your word that has been preserved for us just as it was delivered. We're thankful that we can turn to your word and hear your voice. So we pray, Lord, now that your spirit would speak and that you would be glorified and we would be all the better for being here today. Teach us, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. So it's not lost on me that it's Christmas time, um, I, and I, I just want to say thank you to all the folks that gathered yesterday and and uh, Christmased it up in here. It's a wonderful. Um, um, I, it does seem every year why I have uh, that I have to explain why I don't like Christmas. Um but if I give my reasons a spiritual spin, I usually get away with it. Um but Christmas is not my favorite time of year. Um busyness and pressure and noise aside, there is a reason that this season is troubling to me. Um that is very evident in our text this morning. Though God in his grace gave us Christmas by being born in humble human likeness, to humble parents, in the most humble way and place possible, Christmas has been turned into something else by our culture. It's been turned into a celebration of pride. Um, Even Charlie Brown's Christmas pointed out that, years ago, that Christmas has gone commercial, and everything is showy and flashy. and that's nonsense. Here in our text for this morning, we can see the exact opposite at work in the life of the centurion in Capernaum. Now, um, often if we don't take into account the larger context of any particular verses that we're reading, um, we can get off on the wrong foot. Um For instance, if we just read Luke 7, 1 through 10, without ever reading any of the Gospel of Luke before that, you wouldn't get the fact that Jesus had been to Capernaum before. This was not his first trip to Capernaum. And this centurion, wow, I heard there's this Jesus guy in town. Um, There's some important things for us to remember. Um, Jesus had been to Capernaum before. Half of the apostles were from Capernaum, um, so it's no surprise that when he returned there, everybody in town heard about it. Um, Capernaum is not a big place. It's like Shakurwa Village. That's not a joke. (laughs) That's for real. They didn't have the river. They had a lake. Um, But it's a small place. And one of the people that heard that Jesus was back in town was the centurion. Now as a centurion um, as the name suggests for all of you Latin scholars, uh, a centurion is a commander of a company of how many soldiers a hundred right the Centurion right that's way to go with your Latin all right um, so the Centurion was a person of influence in Capernaum for sure. Um, but what else do we know about centurions? Well, we know that they're Romans, right? This is not a Jewish fellow. This is a Roman guy, didn't grow up in Capernaum, grew up in Rome. Those soldiers that they commanded were Roman soldiers, which tended to make them not friends with the Jewish people. Right? The Romans were not welcome in Capernaum. They weren't welcome anywhere in Israel. They were an occupying force in the nation of Israel. Israel did not invite them to come and protect them. They took over the country. So they're already not friends, um, not welcome. What else do we know about Romans that makes them different from Jews? They're Gentiles, right? A Gentile, anyone who is not Jewish. Anybody who is not descended from Abraham, okay, I am not Jewish, I am Welsh, okay, Um, which makes me a Gentile, just like the Romans. For the Jews at the time, Gentiles were unclean, and the Jewish people were forbidden from even sharing a cup or plate with them. Um, If it had been touched by a Gentile and they touched it or used it, they would have to be ceremonially cleansed, which was a huge hassle. Entering the home of a Gentile would make them unclean, right? So needless to say, they did not hang out together. But this particular Roman centurion, it seems from our text, had a more friendly approach. Um, He showed his love for the Jewish people by building them a synagogue. Um, And he had good relations with them. This wasn't a mark of his office necessarily, but certainly a mark of his character. Centurions had to be a certain kind of person. Those of you who have experience in the military, well, you know that it's not always the right people get promoted, right? Um, But this this particular. In this case, centurions had to be reliable, steadfast, steady. They needed to be able and willing to stand their ground even to the point of death. But that didn't mean that they were required to be nice to anybody. This particular centurion, however, was. And in verse 2, we learn that the centurion had a servant who was very sick and at the point of death. Who was highly valued by him. Now, this also speaks to the character of the centurion. Slaves in Rome, servants in Rome, I'm sorry, w- were not employees. They were not volunteers. They were slaves. And as slaves, they were legally treated as property. They had no rights, they had no say. Uh, they served on pain of death, and anyone who owned a slave had the right to kill them if they felt like it. They didn't need a reason. It was They were property. It was recommended that when farm implements got old or broken, they should be replaced, and the same was true about slaves, according to one historian. They get old, they get broken, you get rid of them and get a new one. But this particular centurion didn't see his servant that way. Luke says that he was highly valued by him. And I don't think that's just because he did something that was valuable to the centurion. I think it's because he valued him as a person. And when he got sick, the centurion looked for a solution. Not to trade him in, but to get him fixed. And it just so happened that Jesus was in town again. Verses 3 through 5 also show us some more about the centurion. It shows us that he was a person of influence, not just because of his station, but because of his character. Look at verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, the elders of the Jews in Capernaum, um, they weren't coerced into saying these things. The centurion had been good to them and good to their village. And they wanted to return the favor. And Jesus had the power to do so. Now, for the elders to say to Jesus, That this man is worthy to have Jesus heal his servant. That's a big deal. Um, These were not the words of the oppressed. These were the words of friends. Either way, Jesus agreed and started towards the centurion's house when he was greeted by another envoy from the centurion. Look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them. So the centurion starts by sending this this kind of outer circle to Jesus, right? There's people in town that he knows, right? And Jesus is Jewish, right? So I'll send the the Jewish elders with a formal request, right? Make sense? Um, But now he sends his friends to Jesus, saying that he was unworthy to have Jesus in his house. I wonder how often do we think that? How often do we presume Jesus? He also recognized Jesus' authority as he would have known that Jesus had already cast out demons in Capernaum before, and he had healed other people there in that village as well, probably people that this centurion knew by name. Now, to be clear, from what uh, the centurion said, he's not claiming authority over Jesus. Like, I, I know what it is to have authority, and I tell people to do what I want, and they do it. He's not claiming authority over Jesus. He's recognizing the authority of Jesus, right? That he has the power to say the word and things happen. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And how does Jesus respond at this statement? Um, if you read Matthew's gospel of this account, um, the the elders of the Jews and the friends are removed; they're not. Matthew doesn't mention them. Uh, he treats the whole story as if the centurion himself were saying these things to Jesus, and that's not a contradiction between these two accounts. Um, Matthew is assuming that because uh, the centurion sent these. Uh, the elders of the Jews, and these other friends to Jesus, it's just as if he were saying these things. So there's no, no contradiction there. And Jesus responds in an amazing way. He marvels. He's amazed. Verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is only one of two places recorded in the New Testament that says Jesus marveled, that he was amazed. Um, and that's an incredible statement all on its own. To, to amaze the Son of God, right? Right? Um, that's got to take a lot. I mean, he, uh, I know you can't feel your atoms, but like he's the one holding them together, right? He was, he was the instrument of creation when God, uh, said, let there be light. Jesus was the one that did that, right? That's amazing. Planet creator, solar system inventor, right? That's incredible. And he marvels at this man's faith. Well, what about the other time that Jesus marveled in Scripture? It's not as fun. The other time that Jesus marveled is when he was marveled by the lack of faith of the people when he was rejected in Nazareth. That's in Mark 6, 6, if you care to look that up. That was his hometown, and they rejected him, and he marveled. He couldn't, I don't know. Now, we can clearly see that Jesus has the power to heal. He has the power to work at a distance. He, has, he shows compassion to the centurion and his servant, and he is worthy of our praise for those things. And there are some things about the centurion that I think we can all learn from. First, the centurion had at least two options when his servant uh, fell ill. He could choose pride or he could choose humility. If the centurion chose pride, things would have gone very differently. I don't think this story would be recorded in the New Testament for one. He could have sent soldiers to get Jesus instead of friends. He could have commanded Jesus to come and heal his servant on pain of death. Or he could have just tossed out the sick and dying slave and gone and bought a new one. He could have thrown him aside like a broken farm implement and traded him in. He could have blamed God. He could have blamed the Jews for the sickness and impending death of his servant. Any number of things could have been different if the centurion responded to this difficulty with pride. Is that what he chose? No. Instead, he responded in humility. The elders of the Jews were willing to seek out Jesus On his behalf because of his love for them. Because of his love for their nation. His friends were willing to go to Jesus because they loved the centurion. And most likely loved his highly valued servant as a member of his household. Love only grows in the soil of humility. Johann Heinrich Magus said, The better a man knows God and himself, the humbler he will be. And I think that's true. The centurion knew the reality that he was unworthy to have Christ in his home. He was unworthy to even go speak to him in person. But he had the faith that Jesus could do for him and for his servant what he was asking. And so did his friends that sought Jesus on his behalf. This is exactly how we should all come to Jesus. As Alistair Beggs put it, we, when we come to Christ, we come face down. Every difficulty that we face in life, we have the same options as this centurion. We can choose humility. We can choose pride. How many times? I, I'm going to tell you a story. You see this thing with the candles in it? So um, this was made with different candles in mind, Uh, smaller candles, not bigger diameter candles like this. And so this week, uh, when we're trading them out because the little candles just burn down too fast, we like having the candles last all the way through the four weeks of Advent because whatever. Just we do. I do, anyway. Um, and I'm in control of candles, so that's how it's going to go. So I came here, and I'm trying to put these candles in there, and you're at a distance, so you can't see the travesty mockery that's going on up here with these candles jammed into the holes, and there's wax everywhere up here, and it's a mess. And as I'm trying to... Uh, like whittle the ends of these candles down to get them to fit in the hole and cram them in there and the candles are breaking and there's wax everywhere and I'm making a mess and it doesn't come off the carpet good and it's going to get ground. It's going to make a huge mess forever. And my response is, can't nothing be easy? Is that humility or pride? pride? Exactly. All too often... That's my number one response when things don't go the way that I expect them to go. And because I do junk like this all the time, this happens all the time. And it's a lesson I have yet to learn because my response is the same all the time. Can't nothing be easy? Or of course something goes wrong. Right? These are candles four of six because two of them fell off the shelf and broke. Of course they did. I don't think that decaf was decaf. <laughs> we always have the same choice. When we're faced with difficulty, humility, or pride. And maybe you don't even think about it. And maybe that's the problem, because I don't, and I just respond. Why is this going badly? Maybe just listen to some sermons online. Why does it rain? Why do the floods come up? Why does difficulty come? To expose our foundation. What gets exposed when you screw up your candles? Pride. Now humility. Now pride because I'm talking about my humility. (laughs) I need to close in prayer. I need to get out of here. The centurion chose humility. He came to Christ in humility, even from a distance. He came in faith. Even without full understanding, another wonderful truth: that we can come to faith in Christ without full understanding. The centurion knew that the power of God was at work in Jesus. And though he may not have understood that Christ Jesus is God manifested in flesh, he still came to him in faith. Understanding often comes later. His friends came in faith on behalf of their friend, bearing his burdens to Christ, an act that we now call prayer. In Matthew's record of this event in his gospel in chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus said, go and let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. John Calvin wrote, hence it is evident how graciously Christ pours out his grace when he finds the vessel of faith open. Though he addresses these words to the centurion, there can be no doubt That in his person he invites us all to a strong hope. Hence, we are also taught the reason why God is, for the most part, so limited in his communications to us. It is because our unbelief does not permit him to be liberal. If we open up the entrance to him by faith, he will listen to our wishes and prayers. God opposes the proud. And gives grace to the humble. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great truth. We, I admit, Lord, I need your help. I think we all, we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with our own expectations of how things ought to be without regard to the way you want them to go. We thank you, Lord, for the example set for us by the centurion to come to you in humility and faith, to trust that you will do what you say you will do. May we um, imitate that same faith and humility, Father. We thank you for your great compassion on the centurion and his servant that you healed him at that very moment. We thank you for your compassion on us that you've preserved that story for us that we could learn to be humble and to trust you. And Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipie, New Hampshire, 03890.